0: We have with us today Executive Director of Hoosier Environmental Council, Sam Carpenter, and he's going to be talking to us about some bills that are going through the legislative session and uh, which ones the HEC is for or against. Um, First one I think we'll start with there is HB 1383. That's a wetlands bill that would reduce the amount of wetlands that are protected by changing the definition of class three wetlands. Um, what's the status of, of that one or, or anything you want to um, put in about that?
1: Well, yeah, you started with a big one there. Um, so 1383 is a kind of a, a push on forward to further erode wetland protection in Indiana. This is, um, uh, a fight that <clears throat> took up in 2021 on Senate bill 389, that um, eroded some of the existing wetland protection at that time. This is a, a kind of a push on top of that. Um, 1383 would reclassify some class three wetlands, which are most uh, protected wetlands and require the highest uh, mitigation rates. And mitigation is really essentially just rebuilding wetlands somewhere else. Um which frankly <clears throat> a a built uh, west wetland, a planted wetland often doesn't uh have the same effectiveness or success at the services that wetlands provide than a, a natural wetland um but thirteen eighty three uh, would further reduce the amount of class three wetlands in Indiana um, there was uh you know. Hoosier Environmental Council has been part of a a group of advocates that have um, worked to introduce counter legislation, uh, legislation that would address um, some of the concerns that developers and builders have with our wetland permitting process um, to provide more visibility into um, the process and uh, simplify it some by really essentially combining the uh, federal process that's with the Army Corps of Engineers in our state uh, process uh, into a a single kind of classification and more simplified classification system. So that's something that Hoosier Environmental Council worked with the uh, Conservation Law Center and other wetland advocates to develop legislation to offer as an alternative. Unfortunately, that has not been given consideration. Um, We were not really part of conversations with, um, item and the builders, Indiana builders association that developed 1383. Um, so I think they've, uh, they felt quite a bit of, um, you know, pushback on 1383. And as a result, rather than really considering, uh, reconsidering that legislation, they're, they're, they're rushing it. Uh, they moved it up to a hearing in the Senate It's starting the House. They moved it to a Senate hearing uh, that's going to be tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, the 31st. Um, And that's uh, weeks in advance of a normal switch from one chamber to the other. So in the face of confrontation, they are rushing rather than responding, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, We have had about uh, a thousand uh, emails go out to legislators Uh, just through Hoosier Environmental Council alone in terms of um, people saying, please oppose 1383. Our wetlands are important. And I know other organizations are involved as well. So they're hearing that. um, They're responding, just not the right way.
0: And so on the flip side of that, there is Senate Bill 246, which I believe is scheduled to be heard today, January 30th, Tuesday is when we're talking. Um, And that's the one put forth by Senator Sue Glick of uh, LaGrange and Senator Blake Doriot of Goshen. Yeah. uh, That would extend the existing program, uh, the voluntary incentives, right?
1: Yes, it would. It it would allow voluntary tax incentives for private landowners who choose to protect wetlands on their grounds. Um, So that is something that we're celebrating, we're supporting. Uh, we're advocating for, and as I understand it, that hearing was today, and it did make it out of that committee. So uh, that is a bill that um, will need to go to the full Senate chamber to be moved on over to the House. Um, but we appreciate that Senator Glick has put that forward um, and been an advocate for wetlands, and um, we're seeing some progress on that bill. It is good to see have those areas to. Uh, To celebrate and support uh, when we're faced with so many um, bills that actually uh, go put move uh, Indiana in the wrong direction toward environmental sustainability. One one other thing I'd like to add on about thirteen eighty three. So right now there is a proposed massive water withdrawal from the Wabash. River over to Boone County Leap District. I've heard different uh, numbers in terms of the miles, but about 35 miles of pipeline that would uh, transfer up to uh, 100 million gallons of water per day to support a development in Boone County called the Boone County Leap District. Um, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, the IEDC, has said. That that water is needed to support uh, advanced manufacturing that they want to attract to that leap to development and and they say that central Indiana has a projected shortage of water. Uh, Indiana's water supply is not going to be able to keep up with our projected growth in central Indiana. So they say that water transfer is needed for both reasons. As a result, the governor, Governor Holcomb, has um, asked for a study by the Indiana Finance Authority to do a comprehensive study of Indiana's water supply. So, at a time when our water supply is in question, um, we're looking to have to uh, transfer. Up to 36 billion gallons of water a year from one aquifer to the other, um, our wetlands are under further uh, erosion of protection. Now, the reason that's important is because our wetlands are very connected to our aquifers. They recharge, they refill our aquifers. Our aquifers are very connected to our water supply. So, um, this is the wrong time to be. Reclassifying, uh, removing protection from our wetlands. Um, we really need to be focusing on our wetlands as being part of our comprehensive water strategy for the state.
0: And so, does uh I guess there are two bills: House Bill thirteen oh five and Bill two that deals with uh, major withdrawal facilities. Does is is that to do with, with that project as well?
1: Yeah, so right now we don't really have uh any sort of regulation or permitting around water withdrawals. Um major water withdrawals, um, I'm not sure what the number is, is is I think it's like 10 million gallons a day or uh, or <clears throat> what is considered significant um are supposed to be reported to DNR, uh Department of Natural Resources. There's just a uh, requirement to report it. There's no permitting or anything along those lines. So really, um, when you're withdrawing water, um, because it's coming from the aquifer, we're all connected. All our wells, all our water is connected underground through these aquifers. So it's not like it's the water on your land. It's really the water on everybody's land um, or underneath it. And so... There were uh, attempts by Representative uh, Nagel and uh, Senator Deary who are in the region that's impacted by the uh, proposed water withdrawal uh, to offer legislation that would require some permitting around these major withdrawals and, and to start looking at developing a comprehensive plan for Indiana. Neither of those bills have received hearings uh, through the House or the Senate Utilities Committees. Um, that means they're uh, dead on arrival in the General Assembly. Um, so that's a uh, frustration. Um, and those were attempts to, uh, to deal with that issue, but they have not uh, been able to move forward.
0: Mm, there's another one uh, to do with water issues, uh, Senate Bill 259. Uh, local wastewater and clean energy districts?
1: Yeah, that's a bill um, by Senator Kedora that would allow, uh, um, as I understand it, I haven't seen the most recent copy, but would allow for Marion County to create these districts that would encourage investment in clean energy and clean water. From the clean energy standpoint, there's cost savings, that come with clean energy, with renewable solar um, that and, and efficiency uh, standards that can actually um, go toward the um, cost of the installation. So it would allow a funding mechanisms to uh, put those future cost savings toward the initial development and investment. Um, So that's something that's done in a number of states. And so that was a good bill that we supported. Unfortunately, uh, that one does not look like it's going to move forward in this session. Mm.
0: Well, I see another one that you guys are for is uh, House Bill 117. And uh, I guess that's to do with grants for schools to do lead testing.
1: Yeah, this is one of our uh, positive areas that... um, uh, Representative Jackson has helped uh, move forward um, a bill that would allow uh, grants for lead testing for for schools and rem- remediation. Um, there's also another bill around lead that is uh, SB five. It's a bipartisan bill that would allow easier access to lead service lines, so and so that they could be uh, more easily replaced. Um, and and less costly in that replacement. Um, You know, Hoosier Environmental Council has been involved with lead um, issues through uh, a contract that we have with the Indiana Department of Health. Um, We have a program where we have been uh, educating, raising awareness about the importance of lead testing, among young children, we're we're working partnering with the NAACP and the Minority Health Coalition in the um, in ten different communities around the state um, to encourage uh, lead testing among kids. Now, uh, preliminary results uh, we've had over uh, through our partners have had over. 10,000 conversations, interactions with people, and we've seen over a 12% increase in testing in those communities where we're active. Um, And that's compared to about a 3% increase in communities that we're not active in. So um, lead and health and child's health is something that's important to us. And um, we're seeing that, um, seeing some good things happening in the legislative session around lead health uh you know the the um, harmful impacts of lead poisoning among young kids as well so we're encouraged to see that
0: and i believe that sb 5 has passed the appropriation. yes
1: i think both of those bills are progressing um and i don't have the latest uh update on that Uh, kind of at my fingertips right now though.
0: You know, water issues is, uh, is, is a lot of what, uh, you guys are dealing with right now. And another one that relates to that, that you guys oppose is, uh, 1399, uh, about PFAS. And apparently it wants to limit the definition of of these forever chemicals.
1: Yeah. And the concerns about the PFAS is one is they're, they're everywhere. Um, they're in our um nonstick kind of they have a nonstick quality because they are these very um tightly bound molecules that um hold together so tightly they, they don't really degrade over time. Uh but they've been used in like nonstick cookware, they've been used on liners of uh pizza boxes, they've been used in our clothing. Um, that kind of waxy material, if you uh, buy a you know cat or dog food in that type of old kind of paper waxy bag, has PFAS. Um, and uh, so there's um, there was a bill last year that required reporting on um, like. Blood tests on uh, firefighters that are exposed to PFAS through firefighting foam and uh, firefighting gear, and to monitoring monitoring their health, um, and that was an acknowledgement that that PFAS are harmful. Um, they do have detrimental health effects, um, and that went through um, with uh, bipartisan support. Um, now, kind of as a result of that. Um, Getting ahead of any future potential regulation, um, this bill has attempted to limit the parameters or the definition of what PFAS material can be regulated, even though there is no state regulation of PFAS. They're saying, well, if there were regulation, we want to limit it to this very narrow definition. Um, So it's kind of... uh, it's it's trying to get ahead of a potential um limitation of accountability for these toxic materials that are going into our waterway um and into our bloodstream the 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 reason they're called forever chemicals is cuz they don't break down and so even though you might get very small exposure over time they accumulate and they build up in your body and that's when you start having these negative health impacts so the environmental protection agency epa is looking at federal regulation of pfas um and so that's where you know if if we put state uh, limits on regulation uh That will be um, outweighed by the federal. So um, this is kind of a silly bill because it's we don't even have state regulation, and they're trying to limit the regulation. Uh, We are opposed to it, uh, but it does seem to be moving forward.
0: Yeah, my uh, dear friend, actually that I took care of in home hospice was in his early 80s, and he passed from metastatic metastatic renal uh, cancer and Kidney cancer is one of the things that's associated with the PFAS. Mm. I mean, it's not, not an abstract issue to some of us out here.
1: No, no, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. What's,
0: an, what's the um, next bill that you would like to focus on? There's just a few that you're pro that are positive ones. Another, let's see, opposition one is to do with the uh, bobcat hunting
1: yeah, so, yeah, um this is kind of a a case of the of what we see is the Indiana General Assembly overreach in terms of telling um, uh, governmental agencies what to do. So they are the department Department of Natural Resources has the ability to create a Bobcat uh, hunting season uh, to take Bobcat. Uh, In Indiana, uh, if they deem that they are not endangered, Uh, bobcats were once an endangered species in Indiana, um, but there's been no real scientific uh, survey or study of their, um, you know, their numbers now in different parts of Indiana. There's only been, uh, you know, sightings that people have reported, um, and they're using that to base the Assumption that um, bobcats are no longer endangered. Um, So we do oppose this uh, legislation, and we think that um, the General Assembly should not be dictating to the DNR that they need to create a hunting season for bobcat. Uh, The DNR has that ability to make that decision based on doing a more thorough and scientific study of bobcat numbers um and so why then uh, tell them they have to do that by July 20, uh, 25 which is i believe the uh the date um so that's a uh that is another piece of legislation that we're opposed to
0: okay the house bill 1165 a regulatory sandbox
1: yeah um so this is a uh, allows for consideration of bypassing health and environmental regulation um in some instances for new business development development so um for communities um i mean this could be seen as an environmental justice issue for communities that have received the brunt of bad um environmental policy and decision-making that have had the high concentrations of different contaminants, um, air quality uh, issues. Um, Here is a bill that offers a way for businesses to bypass health and environmental concerns. Um, So yeah, we're in opposition to that. Um, One, unfortunately, a theme within the Indiana General Assembly, is to uh, remove the um, expertise um, that's within the agencies uh, of IDEM, of uh, Indiana Department of Environmental Management, uh, DNR, um, other agencies, uh, the Office of the Chemist, um, to remove the ability for them to use their expertise to create rules and guidelines and kind of handicap them doing that. Another bill that does that is Senate Bill 297. Um, this is a rulemaking bill that would require that uh agency rules that would have a fiscal impact of a million dollars or more first be approved by the Indian Indiana General Assembly. So uh telling the agency no, you can't make a rule um Uh, related to your expertise, related to the legislation that we've passed. Um, If it's going to have this fiscal impact, um, then first the Indiana General Assembly has to approve it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather have uh, people with trained professional expertise making decisions about uh, rules and regulations rather than our politicians who have to deal with, you know, a thousand different bills in a session. Um, they don't have the expertise to make those determinations. Um, that's why we have government agencies. So this bill uh, would again put a, a limit. This is similar to uh, a bill last year that uh, removed the ability of the Office of the Chemist to make determinations about pesticides um instead the general assembly wanted to uh, approve a uh, new pesticides coming onto the market or or disapprove um so this is a uh, a theme that uh, is c- continues on within the Indiana general assembly uh, there's a couple more that i'd like to talk about if i can sure um one is um a bill it's called uh, hB eleven ninety three. This is a bill that Representative Hamilton put forward uh, to support uh, the development of community solar in Indiana. Unfortunately, this bill has not progressed. Uh, looks like it's not going to receive a committee hearing and uh, therefore uh, has died in the House. Um, but community solar is. An opportunity for Hoosiers to benefit from clean renewable energy um, with a lot of the barriers taken away. So, those barriers could be the upfront cost of buying solar panels and putting them on your home. That can be a uh, $15,000, $20,000 investment. Uh, That's not uh, available. Uh, That's not an available option to a lot of uh, Hoosiers. Um, another, uh, barrier is, uh, you might have a home that doesn't have a good roof for solar. You might have live surrounded by trees. Um, you might have a, a, a roof like mine that it's just an odd roof and it doesn't work very well. Um, or you might live in an apartment and you don't own a home. Um, so community solar, um, is a way for you to benefit from renewable energy, and those benefits are one, uh, it's affordable. Uh, people who subscribe to a community solar plan typically will get ten to twenty percent savings on their utility bills, on their electric bills. Um, there's no upfront costs to sign on. The um, other thing is that you get a, a clean power source in your community. And so you're not having the, you know, detrimental impacts of coal burning or fossil fuel generation um, on the uh, pollutants that they put in the air and our water and into our atmosphere. Um, So you have a clean source in your community. Uh, You have the investment that goes right into your community. Um, And that uh, smaller scale uh, solar development, up to five megawatts, Um, gets connected to the local um, distribution grid, any sort of connection that needs to be made or any sort of upgrades that need to happen to enable that are paid by the developer. Uh, That means uh, utility rate uh, payers are not paying for that expense. They're not uh, covering uh, that expense. Um, So there's uh, upgrades that come to the distribution grid and... With the increased local power generation um, that goes to the homes in that surrounding and businesses in that surrounding area, there's not as much need for the transmission grid. So the transmission grid is a grid that, uh, you know, moves our electrons um, hundreds of miles at times to get to where it's the where the need is. Um, That's to uh, pay for upgrades to those transmission um, systems is very expensive. It's costly, and it it can take uh, many years for that to happen. Um, The more power we can generate locally, um, the less transmission upgrades that we're going to need. So there's so many benefits um, with community solar. So if it's so good, then why why don't we have it? Um, The reason is is because it It requires participation, cooperation with the investor-owned utilities that uh, dominate power generation in Indiana. Um, You can't have a community solar program if you don't have ready access to customer bills um, so that you can provide a credit on those bills for the power that they um, get credit for through the community solar program. Um, facility. So we need legislation that uh, enables or requires the commitment from the utilities to participate in these programs. Um, The uh, utilities see this as a potential, you know, taking away their market share. Um, And so they have not enabled it. It's the same in every other state. Um, It only happens if there is uh, legislation that enables it. Uh, Fortunately, uh, community solar is something that's growing around the country. Um, We're seeing even our neighbor in Ohio um, with community solar legislation that seems to be moving forward. Uh, Wisconsin, um, Illinois has a strong community solar uh, program. Minnesota. Um, So hopefully we'll see progress with community solar. Uh Hoosier Environmental Council is part of a coalition uh called the uh Hoosiers for Community Solar. Um and we're active participants in that and want to see um bipartisan legislation uh you know put forward in a future year to uh get this moving forward. I I think you mentioned once uh Senate Bill 177 which is uh agrivoltaics um this is a bill that Senator Yoder has put forward. Um it seemed to get some bipartisan support but it uh ultimately it sounds like it's not going to move forward. Uh unfortunately. Um agrivoltaics is the combination of uh solar and agriculture in the same space. So that can come in different forms. Um it can come with uh, sheep grazing in amongst the panels um, and providing that grazing pasture. And there's uh, many examples of this working. Um, It can come in the form of shade crops um, being grown within the, um, in amongst the solar panels. Um, It can come in the form of uh, beehives uh with uh, pollinator friendly uh planting in amongst the panels and then uh beehives uh and as well there's a lot of different forms of agrovoltaics. um purdue has done a lot to study this issue and and look for ways to uh co use land with uh solar generation and excuse me agriculture and um So that bill, um, while it has seen some bipartisan support, unfortunately, I think it is not going to move. But I think um, it'll come back next year and hopefully be a little stronger. Now, this is really important. And and this this is another reason that community solar is important as well. Um, Indiana, along with the rest of the nation, is experiencing a transition to clean renewable energy. There's an energy transition that is going on in our country, uh, in the world, um, and in Indiana. So that means more solar, more wind, um, and coal, fossil fuel, coal, is being phased out of uh, from our energy generation. Now, to do that, we need to build a lot of solar, we need to have a lot of wind, um, and we need to have battery storage, um, and other, um, you know, steady, uh, constant sources of electricity generation as well. Um, so we have these, Indiana has a pipeline of large renewable projects, um, hundreds of megawatts, uh, or even I you know the last time I looked it was around five gigawatts. Um, and that does mean acres, many acres of uh, farm ground being transferred to solar or wind. Um, and there's a big pushback in rural communities on siting these projects. Um, so there's um different reasons for that. one is it's it's different. um, it's a change in the landscape and um it, you know change is hard and but there's a there's other reasons too one is a misinformation about what's going to happen um to that land or to the uh power um in that area um but agrivoltaics is a way to think okay we can still use the land for agriculture while the um, land is being used for solar at the same time. So, it's an important issue to study. Uh, now, interestingly, uh, Indiana's farm, farm ground is already used for energy generation. About 20% of our crop ground is used for corn, to grow corn for ethanol. Um, ethanol <laughs> doesn't have many environmental uh, benefits. and in, in fact, it's a Uh, net drain on our uh, environmental sustainability goals so we could convert you know land that's used for energy generation through corn for ethanol to uh, solar and wind and we'd have more than enough land Um, at the same time also um, we need these smaller local uh, projects like community solar and i think if rural communities saw more uh solar going into urban areas on, on rooftops and warehouses on, uh, old parking lots or, uh, brownfields, they might feel uh, better about, uh, sharing part of that, um, change in our energy transition and having solar in their, uh, area as well. Um, but lots, (laughs) lots going on there with that. But, uh, we do support that idea of agrivoltaics and, and hope that it gets uh, moves forward in future sessions.
0: And yeah, that would seem to be another revenue stream for farmers that are struggling a bit, uh, fighting against kind of a lot of consolidation by large companies. So that's would seem to be another tool for them.
1: Absolutely, it is. And, you know, farmers who are having a hard time finding the next generation to continue their farming. Uh, it might be the kids don't want to do that. Um, and they don't have people to, to, to pass it on to. Um, but as as if they are part of a solar, um, if they have solar on their farm ground, then that's a great uh, way to fund their retirement. Um, and to pass on to to future generations. The the other thing is, it's important to realize that at the end of the life of that solar um, development, that land can be returned to farming um, if they have done like pollinator friendly planting um, with uh, roots that can go down, you know, many feet into the soil. Um, that's actually be providing nutrients. Um, into that soil, making it better than it was before. So, uh, or if they have sheep grazing, you know, that's going to be improving that soil over years. So it's not, um, they're not losing that farm ground. They're using it for a different purpose and they can use it for whatever they want at the end of the life of that uh, solar development.
0: The kind of overarching issue involved in all of these is climate change and building climate resilience. And so there's HB eleven seventy two, which relates with to uh, climate resilience and economic growth.
1: Uh, Yeah. Now is that uh, Representative Hamilton's uh, committee to study uh, climate? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, and that's another one, unfortunately, that hasn't progressed. Um, but here's the thing. Fortunately. Indiana is taking action on climate change even though uh <laughs> climate change is a bad word among the uh uh many within the Indiana General Assembly um yeah, kind of hesitant to raise uh climate change um because there's still a lot of uh, doubters about uh, climate change or the root causes of climate change, even though it's, you know, slapping us in the face on a regular basis. Um, The uh, Indiana is taking action and and here's why. Um, One is our corporations um, have renewable energy goals. They have uh, emission reduction goals. Um, So, you know, a lot of these big companies within Indiana are taking their own action to reduce their emissions level. Um, but the biggest reason, the biggest reason is through uh, federal incentives, through the Inflation Reduction Act, and the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill that has passed in this last few couple years. years. Um, these are providing incentives in... Huge investment opportunities for all states, Indiana included. Um, one thing that Hoosier Environmental Council has done is one we advocated to the to the governor's office and to item to accept funding to create a climate pollution reduction plan. Um, they did that. Um, they took that step. So that's that's good. Uh, and now um, item. And on a regional level, it's uh, Central Indiana um, uh, Development, uh, Regional Development Authority, CERTA, um, are both creating climate action plans. They've been seeking uh, input from the public about what to prioritize in their plans. Now, they will submit uh, for funding federal funding to implement these plans. So uh, we've been encouraging Hoosiers to get involved, to, to say what they think is important. Um, and we've been involved ourselves. as And, uh, and we're actually pleased with the priorities. Um, you know, we wouldn't agree with um, it exactly the way they've done it, but a lot of the priorities for renewable energy, for efficiency, um, have come forward. Uh, for resiliency for um, you know communities that would be most impacted by climate change, a lot of these things are coming forward. So there's uh, funded state programs that will be moving forward because of our uh, federal government. Um, even though our state um, uh, legislators are choosing not to take action, are choosing to uh, not support bills that would help us take our head out of the sand and open our eyes and address the concerns in front of us. Um, even though that's their choice, uh, our state is still doing things because of the federal uh, programs that are available. So your uh, environmental council has been engaged on that and uh, really pleased about that.
0: And uh, finally, I think one of the last bills you guys are proposing that I know about is uh, HB 1382 which has to do with delaying fossil fuel closures. I guess that might kind of relate to those dreaded ESG goals and climate plans that corporations are putting together.
1: Yeah, so uh, 1382 was a bill that was introduced that would um, require permission by the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, the IURC, to close fossil fuel generation. It would do more than that. It would also uh, eliminate the ability to accept federal funds for renewables, incentives for renewables, to create new uh, clean renewable generation. Um, So very much an attack on our transition to clean renewable energy, very much of a uh, bailout, a uh, support, a uh kind of give me of, to, to yeah to
0: protectionism of established industries
1: yeah and and really coal um is the area that that is coming from it's coming from the coal lobby um the thing about coal is one it's expensive uh the utilities are wanting to move away from coal because coal is expensive um, companies want the utilities to move away because their, uh, costs are higher with coal. Um,
0: you also so, have the lower air quality situation with businesses wanting to migrate to an area. That's one of the things they look at quality of life and things like air quality. Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, air quality, uh, water quality, um, all these things are impacted negatively by coal. um, Indiana has more unlined coal ash pits than any other state in the nation. Um, These coal pits are next to waterways because the uh, generation, the power plants require a lot of water to operate. Uh, They sit in these uh, unlined ponds. Um, the, The groundwater gets up into them and then it leaches out uh, arsenic and mercury and other toxins into our groundwater. Um there's a lot of expenses if you kind of factored in the impacts of the uh health impacts, uh the environmental impacts, the uh climate impacts related to coal. Oh, I mean coal by as it is now is expensive, but if you factored in those things you'd realize it was many times as expensive than you realize. Um, so fortunately, uh, this bill doesn't seem to be, uh, receiving a hearing. Um, we did speak with the, uh, author of this bill, uh, representative Ledbetter, uh, and, uh, and raised our opposition, um, and had a good conversation about, you know, alternatives. But, um, this, this bill does not seem to be progressing forward. Um. It did move forward in Kentucky. A similar bill, very similar language, just passed in Kentucky. Um, so we expect that this language will probably come back in a future session, and we will certainly be, you know, active on it in opposition if it does.
0: Well, it sounds like uh, you know this is a federal election year when people are paying a little more attention to some issues. It sounds like you have this year to raise the profile of some of these things that didn't get through, like the community solar and agrivoltaics, because I think you'd find a lot of popular support for that, but the average person is completely unaware that there was even any such proposals going on. So uh, raising the profile of of those issues would seem to be a prime task for the HEC in this year in preparation toward the next uh, legislative session next year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and raising awareness and giving people a way to connect on these issues is one of our main goals. Um, and we do, you know, encourage people to visit our website. It's a heckweb, H-E-C-W-E-B dot org. And there's lots of resources there. Uh, there's calls to action. Um, we do currently have calls to action on our uh, wetlands bill, uh, wetland bills. Um, We also have um, one thing that we we forgot to talk about, and let me go back to it. Is um, oh here? Oh, Senate Bill fifty-two. We have a call to action in opposition to Senate Bill fifty-two. This is a bill that prohibits uh, dedicated bus lanes for public transit. Um, this is really a direct attack on the blue line in Indianapolis uh, that would connect uh, Indianapolis uh, downtown to the airport. Um, there's a lot of benefits to public transit. One, it's a uh, it's an affordable transportation option for people who don't have cars, don't have access to cars. Um, it is a way to move a lot of people with out the congestion without the pollution that goes along with uh vehicles um and it's a con- this connection to the uh airport um we are a city indianapolis is a city that um really has a lot of conventions um people fly into the airport we have this kind of state of the art uh airport that we're all proud of um but we don't have a good public transit option to get from to the airport down to the convention center or downtown. Uh, this um, blue line would allow that. So um, this is another case where the General Assembly is saying, here's what's best for you, local community. Um, not listening, whereas Indianapolis uh, voted on a rep- referendum to fund plan uh, fund public transit. Uh, a vote that was sixty to forty in favor um, the general Assembly is saying, Well, sorry, citizens of Indianapolis uh you don't really know what's best um you don't really shouldn't make that investment in public transit. uh we're here to tell you that that's not a good idea uh this kind of uh thinking of that the state can tell uh communities um how to um you know make these investments um is a mistake, and that's been a repeat uh, the general assembly has been a repeat offender on this uh particular approach um the other thing that's in jeopardy with senate bill fifty two is federal investment um that is already gone in and future investment that would go into the blue line um so Unfortunately, this did pass out of the Senate. There's been similar bills in the past that haven't made it forward. Uh, this one did, and uh, so there is a way to take action on this. And I know I don't I know if you're in the Bloomington area, but uh, this would impact uh, you know public transit for Bloomington, uh, for Fort Wayne, for uh, Gary, other areas in our state as well that might want to be making investments in uh, public transit.
0: So, is there a way that that does kind of affect us uh, statewide rapid, rapid transit? Or are you just thinking that there'll be kind of uh, uh, people following that policy in, in other localities?
1: Well, this would uh, prohibit um, dedicated lanes for rapid transit, um, regardless of where.
0: State- statewide. statewide? Statewide. Okay. And that's despite the amendments that were made, exempting the red line, other, other lines there in Indy?
1: Well, the red line is already in place. Um, the purple line is already uh, in construction uh, in Indianapolis. So they're exempt. But um, other ones where construction has not begun would not be exempt, as I understand it.
0: I see. Well, great. I, I think that gives us a pretty good breakdown and, uh, uh, people can, you know, find out who the representatives are that are involved in any of these bills at the HEC website. Is there anything else that, uh, you want to highlight or any initiatives or.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a conversation on, uh, we're going to have a conversation on February 8th with our legislative team. It's going to be a webinar um people can sign up for that it'll be in the evening um let's see uh, 7 uh 7 p.m. that evening um so people can come to that and hear directly from our policy team about updates on what's going on with these bills um so I'd invite uh people to that and also just realize this is a way to get engaged um you know I said at the very beginning that I'm relatively new to this position and I have a lot of concern about, you know, climate and the environment and leaving a better place uh, for my kids and future generations. And it can be overwhelming as an individual uh, focusing on these issues. And what I want people to realize is by becoming engaged, uh, being part of a community that is addressing these concerns uh, it's really uh, for me anyways <laughs> it's moved my worry to action and uh, helps me uh, have a, a better outlook um, I can find those areas of where we are making progress um, and so I encourage people to to get involved um, what we try to do is offer different ways um, based on kind of what's the circumstances in your life to get involved. So it can be as simple as like signing your name onto a letter, or it can be all the way to like reaching out and meeting with your elected official. So there's uh, different ways or just reading a newsletter and, and keeping informed. Uh, that's the approach that we're trying to take and trying to reach as many Hoosiers who care about our environment and want to leave our uh, state a better place for our kids. Um, we're trying to reach as many Hoosiers as we can that way.
0: Yeah. It's kind of a mental health regimen to, to, uh, combat the climate anxiety that more and more people are, are having hearing all the doom and gloom and not knowing where to plug in to do anything about it.
1: That's right. That's right. If we can change that, uh, the energy of that anxiety to, uh, uh, proactive action; um, it at least, it, it, not, it nothing else that it, I think it'll improve our our mental health, and and I think it'll it a diff- make a difference as well. I'm I'm seeing it happen.
0: Well, great, thank you, Sam. Um, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking in the future and trying to get updates uh, about anything that we should be aware of coming out of the the state house and what you guys have going on uh, across the state.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity and thanks for your interest in this. And uh I appreciate the chance to speak with you.